0: I mean, what's that football <laughs> focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brady. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward <laughs> from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Please? Yeah, yeah. Alright, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal
1: on this? I yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it.
0: Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're live-ish on YouTube, breaking down the AFC. We're going to fix every AFC team. We should put that in the title just to really you think? hook people. Fixing every AFC team
1: today. With an old legend. With a legend. Of that yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like the, the th-
0: current version of the legend.
1: No. So it's like a fantasy draft, right? You get to pick a former team legend from history. To add to the current roster to make them better, to fix them for the current NFL season. I'm excited by this. I, it was a cool idea. And then when I started actually doing it, I was like, no, this is actually fun. I went through team by team. It's difficult for some teams. It's very easy for some other teams. But I'm, okay, I'm excited so, by this.
0: So we're going to go team by team.
1: Yep. We'll start in the AFC today, NFC tomorrow. And uh, we're going to fix every team. So I had a few vague rules legends. to this, right? The guy you're adding can't still be an active player. So the Packers can't just put Rodgers back on the team. The theory being that you're getting like the prime version of that guy, right? So the Packers can't just like bring Rodgers back because he's still active. Uh, To me, the guy had to have played the majority or at least a recognizable significant portion of his career for that team. So, for example, Reggie White eligible for both the Packers or the Eagles, not the Panthers, you know? Can he them. be on both the Packers and the Eagles? No, uh, we could we could argue that out. First I, I come, only, first serve? Right. I only did it for one team. I didn't double up adding the same guy to multiple spots. So, Panthers legend, Reggie White, ineligible. Doesn't, yeah, not a thing. And then, I tried generally to avoid people that retired, like, you know, a year ago. I felt that was that Tom wasn't. Brady,
0: ineligible. Gronk, ineligible. Yeah,
1: I felt that wasn't really in the spirit of it. But, we may get to some where it's just... You kind of need to make that happen so we can argue those when we get to them but those are my general rules of thumb you know what my general rule is you want to stick to like things that happened in living memory because you're useless i i'm not great with
0: really really you know long nfl history are you one of these people no i spent all of my days understanding everything about baseball history like i can recite wade boggs batting average for every single season in the 80s in which years he won the batting title i have a ridiculous uncanny knowledge of baseball history and stats and wrestling in the 80s and 90s okay but he, that's where a lot of my brain capacity went during the, the, these days where i was not trying to go back and understand the nfl from the 50s and 60s because let's be honest
1: it did look like a completely different game from what we grew up your with brain like a hoarder's basement where you just have reams of crap that's utterly useless now. Oh, so been. much. Yeah. So much. Are you one of these people generally that like believes that Don Hudson doesn't exist because if you put him in today's NFL he would look like me?
0: Uh, No, I don't believe that. I, good. But again, kind I of don't... Because uh, baseball has these same debates. Like Babe Ruth could never play today. It's like, all right, sure. But he probably could. Right. You know, so like I, I don't even... Uh, let's not even play that game. Well, like, let's me, assume yeah. that well, these then, guys... Well, that Don Hudson's good.
1: Yes. Let's at least sort of, let's at least address that argument because it always frustrates me a little bit and strikes me as kind of silly. Like, if you transported Don Hudson from whenever he was playing, the 30s, the 40s, whatever the hell it was, uh, to today's NFL and, like, put him next to Julio Jones in a one, you know, in, in receiving one-on-ones, you know, rep one, Julio Jones, rep two, Don Hudson, of course he'd look ridiculous. But I think you have to work on the basis of if you are you know, magically transporting this guy from the deep past to the modern NFL, you would also have to assume that he gets the modern NFL's benefit of nutrition, sports science throughout his life up until this point, right? So you're, it's Don Hudson adjusted for inflation. It's Deacon Jones adjusted for inflation and modern science, not the dude literally ripped out of the fabric of the past and thrown onto the NFL field in 2023.
0: Yeah, that's all fair. I, so I, the the thing the the thing I would argue too about the old time NFL players, you didn't grow up grew up here, but I would I would argue that the average American sports fan knows way more about historic baseball players than NFL players. Baseball is more of an historic type of game. So if we were having this debate, and I was like, I'm going to add Willie Mays and Stan Musial and Rogers Hornsby, I feel like the average fan has like an idea about those players more than they do the Don Hudson's of the world. So I'm not, I don't think I'm biased in that opinion, because that's me. I think that's more the average sports fan. So there's more people who know baseball yeah. history, because I it's, mean, it's been, it's like, it is part of nostalgia. If I, you know, people know Jackie Robinson
1: far more than they know. Looking down my list generally, it does skew more modern. I mean, I think that's natural just so from our I, age.
0: So I wanted to lean toward the 80s and 90s the most.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, possible. we can do it either way. You can argue for your guys that retired last season. and I don't I, want to do retired last
0: season. I'm just saying 80s, 90s. And yeah.
1: I, we're, generally, I think we're going to skew towards that era anyway because neither of us are as old as some of these old-timers that, you know, Hall of Fame debaters, et cetera, that will give you all chapter and verse about guys that played in the 1940s. All right.
0: I have one more rule.
1: Okay. The
0: PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. It's a good rule. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com PFF. We mentioned on yesterday's show, while wearing the same exact clothes and the mm, same exact mm-hmm, seats, mm-hmm. a potential fantasy draft in the future. I'm getting more and more excited about this. About the if, expansion draft idea. What did I say? Fan- yeah, expansion draft. Expansion I mean, it is draft. a fantasy draft. It's fantasy just- expansion draft. You and I are going to simulate an entire offseason with the available players in an expansion draft if the 32 current NFL teams had to expose those players to the expansion draft, and then you and I got to go into the NFL draft itself with seven picks and make our picks. I actually made a, I got a little program for that. I can, uh, I can automate what the draft model, who the draft model
1: would draft at each pick for each team in each draft. Huh. So you're actually going to draft along the model. You should actually be bound I'm, to do that. That should be I a rule I'm, for you. I think I'm going to. You must draft according to the model. And, and according to the, there's some rules around the
0: model. It's not, just a, it's not just like a linear. It's the best player who was drafted in that round or in that range, best player available in that in that range basically because i would take expected draft position into consideration so yeah i'm excited about that so we'll do that at some point in the future all right you want to do this yeah afc afc let's start uh let's start in the west where's my list let's
1: start in the west the west is where you're starting with
0: it yeah because we always start in the east okay so let's start with denver? uh
1: denver is that who's denver broncos there you go let's do it okay where do you want to start with your '80s and '90s? I mean, you're going to give them John Elway, right? You probably are. Yeah. Now, look, there's some other interesting options. I do think. I mean, John Elway was my pick as well. The Denver Broncos could also add Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey next to Patrick Sertan as a cornerback duo—that's pretty feisty. I can get behind that. Um, how, how do how do we handle running backs here? I mean Because I'm, you're going to want like Jim Brown and Terrell Davis. There and is one Earl running, Campbell. There is one running back in the entire NFL that I am willing to make an argument for. That's it. So that's how I'm handling the running back position. Oh, it's the Lions, isn't it? We'll get there. They just drafted the next Barry Sanders, though. So Denver, Champ Bailey next to Patrick Sertan, I think would be pretty fun. Uh, Carl Mecklenburg, just because. You know what his nickname was? Mech. No. No. That would be a, a, a reasonable expectation and a solid nickname. But we're not in the realm of solid. We're in the realm of, I didn't know this, but this is, this is right up there with Bad Moon for one of the best nicknames in NFL history. You know what it was? What? The Albino Rhino. Albino? Sure. Albino Rhino. Albino Rhino. Now it rhymes. Which does make rhyme now. But There we go. Al- that's one of the greatest The Albino nicknames. Rhino. Yes. Okay, that's pretty good. That's solid. a phenomenal nickname. So for that reason alone, the man deserves back in the modern NFL. Good research there. Yeah. But I think John Elway probably is the pick. I mean... I'm also—I would be fascinated to see John Elway in the modern NFL because he, a, his numbers kind of stink. It, again,
0: it really is two different games.
1: Yes. So he's a classic example of how hard it is to compare across eras. But it's also difficult to understand how much—so John Elway's numbers via most conventional means kind of stink. Right, but gonna, there was I'm an gonna, acknowledgement. I'm gonna
0: do some quick I'm gonna do some quick research Knock yourself here in out. ultimate.
1: But there was an acknowledgement basically throughout the man's entire career that he was getting significantly more out of what was there than he had any right to. He was dragging these teams single-handedly to the Super Bowl where they would get owned by the 49ers. Um, but he was doing that consistently. And then he finally got the two payoff rings at the end of his career and got the Super Bowl championships, and it was a happy ending and blah blah blah. But there's also the, the confounding element of he was also arguably the greatest quarterback prospect to enter the NFL ever. Right? He was the Trevor Lawrence of his time, the Andrew Luck, the guy that like was unquestionably just this elite, perfect quarterback prospect. We know how much that kind of thing lingers in the NFL, like how hard it is to lose that respect or that status of being you know an incredibly elite prospect. So how much of the John Elway so much better than his numbers and his performance suggests is true and how much of it is just we know or we think of John Elway as this perfect quarterback prospect. Therefore, we have to say he's actually way better than his performances were. I think he's one of the, the most difficult quarterbacks in NFL history to like fairly evaluate based off past evidence.
0: Uh, the more I watch football, first off, the more I would... I think over time, QB wins do matter. I do think that they are. They do get you in the ballpark, right? Um, Elway did. There, there was this element of him carrying those teams. The the other part that is really tough to wrap your head around. So he completed fifty seven percent of his passes in his career. Um, They it was a completely different game. Seven step dropbacks. Yeah. Not just like once in a while. Like every single time. Right. There was was no three step game. The three-step game showed up with the West Coast offense in the early 80s with the 49ers, and only a handful of teams were running it. So it was like, look, Joe Montana was great and all that stuff, and Steve Young was great, but for about 15 years, they were running a completely different offense that was far more QB stat-friendly. The Niners uh, and you know, the Packers you know, and Holmgren and a lot of those guys started to move around. So I know a little bit of NFL history. Um, and then, you know, as I was watching all the NFL drafts of, you know, 2000 and 01 and 05 and all that stuff, the buzz for everybody was like, this is a West Coast offense. This is a West Coast offense. Seattle, West Coast offense. Michael Vick's going to the West Coast offense. It took the league like 15 years to be like, oh, well, let's all run the same stuff Montana did. And it didn't work exactly the same. But at the time when the every defense was built to stop the run and stop deep passes and the Niners are, you know, hitting everything underneath – it was like, okay, it's just a completely different game. So the quick perspective I wanted to show, seven-step drops, take out screens, last year in the NFL. Only a handful of quarterbacks completed over 60% of their passes. So that was Matt Ryan, believe it or not, Justin Herbert, Tua, and Matthew Stafford, and Andy Dalton. Josh Allen was at 59% and about 9.7 yards per attempt. Tom Brady's next at... Um, 59%. So a lot of the NFL quarterbacks today, if you just said seven-step drop every time, they're going to have these high 50s, low 60s completion percentages, which is what Elway was for a big chunk of his career. Mm-hmm. Just one number to just throw it out there and say, you can't just look at Elway's stats and say, well, he wasn't that good. Now, there are a contingent of people who compare Elway to, to his peers and all that stuff, and the stats aren't, they aren't great.
1: But I think there was a lot of the Josh Allen to him. Well, there's also a lot of, I mean, some of his peers were were players that were pioneering that West Coast offense with the shorter. Right.
0: It's tough to compare him to Montana or, you know, Steve Young in the early 90s and all. It's tough to compare him to those guys. Favre. Um, So, yeah, I think Elway was great. So I do have pro football references by team, uh, approximate value numbers. So I do have some – a little bit of a cheat sheet here just to get you some of the best players. You could give him Tom Nalen at center. You want to give him Tom Nalen.
1: That's, I mean, not over Elway, yeah.
0: but I would take Elway
1: over Russell Wilson, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Wilson I don't think qualifies. All right, we're spending a lot of time on For the multiple reasons. Anyway, Kansas City. Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Who you got? Derek Thomas is the answer. Yeah. There, you could make a case for a guy like Bobby Bell, but Derek Thomas is one of the best pass rushers in NFL history, I think would be better in today's NFL than he was in, in his NFL that would be phenomenal. Like, the imagine Derek Thomas lining up next to Chris Jones with whatever they're able to produce out of the, the other guys in that defensive line. Like, that duo would be nuts. Do so you
0: want right to hear the career AV leaders for the Chiefs? Yeah. Will Shields, uh-huh. right guard. Len Dawson. Tim Tyrer, left tackle in the 60s and early 70s. Okay. Bobby Bell, there you 60s go. and 70s. And Derek Thomas, followed by Buck Buchanan who you did grade and was a legend
1: based off that one game super bowl one buck buchanan is massively overrated (laughs) now it's possibly it's possible he was not overrated in other games he played but based off
0: that one game you're also going to like stick to that too the rest of your life buck buchanan overrated yeah what if that what if we gave him tony gonzalez that'd be interesting what if he had tony gonzalez and kelsey and travis kelsey Mm -hmm. on the same team for the chiefs um travis kelsey currently 13th in career av and patrick mahomes 18th right behind tamba ali i think mahomes will be number one by the end of it so yeah i think uh i think derrick thomas is definitely the play there
1: for the chiefs um I agree. you could potentially they had you know other willie uh lanier a linebacker would be an interesting guy to add to them any of the offensive linemen that you talked about will shields there's guys you could add but i think Derek thomas is the absolute answer there
0: All right, let's go Raiders.
1: Raiders is tough. Um, You could go in a bunch of different directions there. I gave them Gene Upshaw, former offensive guard, uh, way back in the day before he became NFLPA president, right? Or whatever the top gig is there, what it's called. See, this is why, I mean, tell me about Gene Upshaw's game. Gene Upshaw was fascinating. That guy, so for a couple of years, Gene Upshaw like broke his thumb or something. uh, Had to, so played with a cast, had his whole arm put in a cast, you know, the, the hand and then the thumb. So it was like a little L shape of cast. And he we'd, would get the, the hook, would get the L, and he would like jab people under the, the helmet, get them in the neck with the hook, right? And then it suddenly dawned on officials that he'd been wearing a cast for like a year and a half. They were like, hang on, <laughs> you broke your thumb like back two years ago. You can't possibly still need a cast for this. And they basically made him take it off. But he'd been for a couple of years using this thing as a weapon. They're like, Kht. so I'm all 70s on Seventies football was. Now I don't know special. if that works in today's NFL. Maybe that, maybe. But that's the kind of nasty streak I want in offense. Gene lineup. Upshaw with a cast. Gene Upshaw with a nasty streak to my offensive line. So I was thinking Howie Long, and I was also thinking Charles Woodson. Howie Long was on my list. Woodson wasn't though. I had Scrabble on there. Namdi Asamoah. No, I think I would take Woodson. I mean, in this
0: division where I don't think they have great corners.
1: I would get I – mean, I mean, I
0: don't think Dombie was as
1: good as Woodson. Now, here's a question. Bo Jackson. Because you've yeah, got to assume you're I, getting I, there's healthy There's so Bo. much fun. There's so much fun in the running back. You've got to assume names. also you're getting healthy Bo Jackson. So we get, we're getting Bo for a career. We're not getting Bo for the couple of years before his hip gets shot to hell. I would think about Bo. The guy, the one mythical 41940 or whatever it was he ran at 200 plus pounds, the greatest athlete to ever suit it up in the NFL, arguably, adding Bo Jackson to any offense in the NFL, but to the Raiders this year would be fun. Oh, man. Bo.
0: Look, at his, uh, his pro, pro football reference page is out of this world. He did average 5.4 yards per carry in his four years. His lo- He had long runs. His highest, longest run in 1987 was 91 yards. That was the famous Seahawks one, right? With um, was that the one the Seahawks won?
1: With uh, the Boz. The, the Boz was where he ran over him at the goal line one time. Yeah, like Boz was on the team. Like where, ruined Boz's career. Where uh, Bo ran into the tunnel.
0: Anyway, he had a long of 91 in 87, a long of 92 in 1989, and yeah. a long of 88 in 1990. He finished with 515 career carries. Yeah. That's it. Not much. But he was averaging 5.4 yards a pop. Back then, Yes, eight-man boxes and all that stuff. He put Bo in space.
1: I mean, so, you know, we we had this argument, right, with Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson is potentially special enough that it breaks the rules about what you do with running backs and how high you draft those guys and what's more valuable to an offense and blah, blah, blah. By extension... Bo Jackson might be the most special running back to ever enter the league from an athletic talent standpoint, all those kinds of things. I, I want to break the rule and kind of put him in there. That's fine.
0: You can only choose one, and you chose.
1: Uh, I did choose Gino Gene Shaw. Opshaw in his, and his and hook cast. Yeah. Hook cast. I was going to go Woodson here because okay. we've got to beat the Chiefs. Howie Long would be pretty good as well. Like Howie yeah. Long opposite Max Crosby, that's a, that's a pretty nasty defensive end duo. Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen were on the in the same
0: backfield for the Raiders. How about that hmm. backfield? You say? Yeah. Notice I didn't put uh, Jeff Hostetler in there too. No. Well, the, that would be The backfield impactful. of Bo Jackson, Marcus Allen, and Jeff Hostetler yeah. was really incredible. Chargers.
1: Junior Seau. Oh, okay. I didn't have him on my list, but it's, it's a good my, one.
0: My first instinct was Kellen Winslow, actually. That's who I got. Yeah, Kellen Winslow worked in the middle of the field with the receivers that they
1: have. All three of mine, in fact, are offensive players. Kellen Winslow, um, Antonio Gates, bring him back. Uh, or Charlie Joyner, wide receiver. Big. Uh, he was tall, right? <laughs> he was tall, right? That, that's mean, the level of insight you're bringing here. Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, catch <laughs> radius. Catch radius guy <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm looking for.
1: I see. Yeah, at 5'11". Yeah.
0: Yeah, good catch radius though. Good
1: good under 88.
0: Highest A V it's gotta be. Oh, it's Rivers. Phillip Rivers, then Junior Seau Yeah. Then Dan Fouts.
1: Seau's a good call. I hadn't I hadn't really considered Seau that much. I was lost down this rabbit hole of offensive playmakers, but what about Ladani and Tomlinson? I wouldn't make an argument for Tomlinson. In this offense? I mean he'd be great, but I wouldn't want him over Kellen Winslow or, you know, like a legit receiving weapon.
0: Yeah, I would want Winslow. He was, uh, he was kind of a game-changing tight end yeah. in the Dan
1: Fouts era. He was era. like the original, uh, maybe not the original, but he was one of these pioneering you know, elite receiving threat pass game tight ends in, a, in the time where that wasn't really a thing. Kellen Winslow led the league <coughs> in receptions yeah. as a tight end, 1980
0: and 1981. 89 catches in 80, 88 catches in 81. He only started 11 games in 1980, though, out of the 16. Because mm-hmm. game starts are the dumbest stat in the NFL. When
1: did uh, when did the league go from twelve to sixteen? Seventy 78. Okay, yeah. right
0: in that range. All right. So we're taking. Uh, I think I think we both agree Winslow there. Yep. So we're gonna go. Let's go AFC South. So what do you do for the Houston? The Houston Texans don't have a. Are we taking Texans legends?
1: Yes. So this is easy because there's only two of them. What do you got? Well, it's either Andre Johnson or J.J. Watt. Which, which one do you JJ's,
0: want to add? J.J.'s doesn't count.
1: Doesn't he? Wait, so he, you, he, he recently retired. On you the literally
0: hand. just made the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He recently retired, which would generally rule him out, but he hasn't played for the Texans for a little bit. Yeah, whatever. I'm also, it, you have to bend the rules a little bit when there's literally only two team legends ever. 21-year history yeah. for the Texans. So you don't have a lot to work with here. Uh, I'd give him Andre. I mean, yeah, I'd give him either one. Andre Johnson I mean, is
0: probably the better
1: J.J. Player. Watt is the better player, but Andre Johnson is probably, I mean, not more, the more acute need, I guess, but when we look at that roster and you're like, you just drafted your quarterback of the future, C.J. Stroud, what did you do to help him from a wide receiver standpoint? And the answer to that is less than maybe you would have liked to because he traded everything for Will Anderson, you know? Yeah. So instead, why don't we give him Andre Johnson? So now that he's got Andre Johnson... In addition to Nico Collins, John Mechie, Xavier Hutchinson, I mean, JJ Watt and
0: Will Anderson would be a nice little defensive Robert line. Robert Woods, Hank Dell. So, Texans fixed. Fixing Which one everything. do you give them? Um, I would lean Watt, but I understand the argument
1: for Andre Johnson. I lean Andre Johnson. So, But will those we, are your two options. keep a track of these Those are your anywhere? two choices. Uh, we don't have to keep track. Colts. This one's interesting. It's, I mean, like, it's Peyton you, Manning. Well, so... It is. Like, Peyton Manning is obviously the best player they've ever had. Or Johnny Unitas. But if you're talking like they've got a plan, right? They just spent the number four overall pick on Anthony Richardson. They're planning on this, you know, run-heavy offense. Where we have the quarterback in the future. Do you immediately junk all that just because you can now dive into the well and get Peyton Manning? No. Or do you say, for the current team, with their plan, let's give him Dwight Freeney? No. The plan, who cares about the plan? (laughs) They do. They just got a plan. better if it's Peyton Manning. Also, by the way, their current uh, approach of let's get the greatest athletes humanity's ever seen, Manning doesn't fit that. No, he doesn't. Can't have that. Who would in
0: their list here? Freeney. Most valuable Colts, Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Jeff Saturday.
1: Yeah. How about that crew? Jim Parker, nine-time All-Pro at offensive tackle. Helps the offensive line Tell me about Jim Parker's game. Don't have a lot of info on Jim Parker other than the nine-time All-Pro thing. That's, That's, That's pretty significant. It's Look quite a lot of all pros. Look at you citing all pros. On the now. offensive line. You've changed. Edger James well, in that part backfield? Yeah, uh, part of the voting process now. Therefore, I assume it was sound back in the uh, 19... Is whatever. Marshall Falk a Colt or a Rams? Marshall Falk was really I, good with the he, Colts. And I would say he quali- the he's one of those guys that qualifies for both.
0: Marshall Falk or Edger James in the backfield with Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor? Nah,
1: they already have Jonathan Taylor. Like, I'm not... I mean, Peyton Manning's the easy one here. Peyton Manning is, but like I say, I, I'm... I, I generally am not giving a quarterback to a team that just drafted one of the top five. So this is happening post-draft? Yes. Well, yeah, it was Dwight in my Freene head be, when I did
0: it. Dwight Freeney would be fun You finally have that elite pass rusher that they've been
1: chasing. Hmm. Jim uh, Parker, also part of the 1950s all-decade team, the NFL 75th anniversary team, and the 100th anniversary team. Well, be, uh, the resume is impeccable. That's what I'm saying. Can't argue with that. But also
0: an right. Outland Trophy winner. It's time for my specialty here. And a
1: unanimous All-American in 1956. I would still give him Peyton Manning. But, yeah, if
0: you want to give him Dwight Freney, go for it. Uh, my specialty here, the Jacksonville Jaguars.
1: Yes. So there's one Mark name. Brunel. What? Can't I give him Mark Brunel?
0: How many playoff wins does Trevor Lawrence have? How many AFC championships has he gone to? Uh-huh. Mark Brunel, man. Jimmy Smith Mark is Brunel. Look at how many, how many uh, AV points or whatever, however you say this stat. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: What's Trevor Lawrence's A.V.? Not as high as Brunel's. Yeah. Jimmy Smith is the answer. Jimmy Smith is the answer. The only viable answer. Who is, what are your alternatives? Give me some more names. Tony Baselli. Okay. So Baselli only had basically like a six-year career. Yeah. 95 to 01. So you would see, okay. For the Jags. He, he I think he was on, hurt in 01. If we work on healthy Baselli,
0: Yeah. Healthy Tony Baselli could yeah. come in and take Cam Robinson's spot at mm-hmm. left tackle. Jimmy Smith. Yes. Um, it was him and Keenan McCardell for years. It was kind of like... Uh, Stephon Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen or whatever one two punch you want to say where it, there was points where it looked like you know either one could be better and then Jimmy Smith just kind of like took off and Jimmy Smith found out or we found out he was kind of QB proof too when rookie Byron Leftwich was kind of finding his way Jimmy Smith was still producing for a few years with a young Byron Leftwich Jimmy Smith is as good as Marvin Harrison but as much as I love Mark Brunell Brunel is not the high volume he's not as good as Peyton Manning no he's not a, he was a high volume passer early in his career but not so much toward the end of his Jags run and then Jimmy Smith had Byron Leftwich as his quarterback Jimmy Smith was at, there was a point where he was right there with Marvin Harrison as the the best high volume receiver in the NFL now you could argue Randy Moss was the best deep threat at the time and all that stuff but Jimmy Smith is as good as Marvin Harrison they should both be in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and so Jimmy Smith would be the guy give him to Trevor Lawrence and he dominates
1: Yeah, no, I think that's probably true. I I can't see a particularly good alternative to Jimmy Smith. He's the answer, I think, for that. The healthy Tony Brackens, too, really underrated.
0: There's a few years stretch, I'm telling you. If we had Tony Brackens grading,
1: he'd be a 90-plus edge defender for
0: about three years.
1: Okay. The other couple of guys, that interior duo, Henderson and Stroud. Yeah,
0: so Stroud's interesting because he was a little, by our – the couple years we had of grading, 06 to 08 with the Jags, or 06, 07, grading was underwhelming. Hmm. And, you know, I watch a lot of old Jags games. He's, he's all right. Henderson was a better player. Yeah. Very good run defender. Neither of those guys are
1: plus making to, the cut here. Though. Plus you get to bring back the, uh, the meme of the guy slapping him.
0: Yes. You always, yeah. always bring
1: that back. Right. All right. So Jimmy Smith for the Jags. Tennessee Titans, a.k.a. the Houston Oilers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you go back to the Oilers at least? Or did yeah, you just yeah. go Titans? No, no. I, I mean, they have an obvious answer as well, in my opinion. Bruce Matthews is the answer there. Yeah, but I mean, he was never a Clone Titan. him four times and you have an entire new offensive line.
0: Wait, he was a Titan. Was he a Titan? He might have. He played until
1: one yeah, yeah, he really hung in there.
0: Jeez, man. He played from 83 to '01. one
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was with the Titans
0: for five years.
1: There's a reason we named our offensive Sorry. line award after him.
0: They were the Tennessee Oilers. For like a year, right? For 97 and 98, I believe. Is that right? And then 99, I think they moved to the Titans, and that was the year they had the, the miracle. Yeah. Music City miracle. Yeah, Bruce Matthews. You, now, you play him at
1: center or guard? I mean. Or tackle. Anywhere. You play anywhere. Find your weakest. Like, literally, so what you do is you take Bruce Matthews, you have him chill for the first week of training camp, you know, just, like, rest up, get, get a massage, hang, whatever. You identify the worst starter on your offensive line, and then that's where Bruce plug plays. Plug him right in. Yeah. All right. So for people that don't know, Bruce Matthews played, I think, all five positions along the offensive line at various points in his NFL career and did them well. Seven-time All-Pro, like the 14 times All-Pro member of the 100th anniversary all-time team, arguably the greatest offensive lineman the game has ever seen. T- the, the Titans have a bad offensive line. Put those two things together, you have
0: an improvement. If pro football reference is correct, they had him start his career right guard, the next year, he was center slash right tackle, <laughs> yeah. so he's got full years at right tackle in '84 and '85. in '86, he was a left tackle. Yeah. And then he had a four-year stretch at right guard, uh-huh. a four-year stretch at center, yeah. and then a five-year stretch at left guard, and
1: then finished his career at center. And I believe he also That's hilarious. I believe he also long snapped. Really? Yeah. He did literally everything. There's not enough
0: of those guys along the NFL. offensive line.
1: There is not. Just talk about stealing roster spots. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. You need to clone them four times, and then you just have an entire new offensive line. Man, that Matthews family. Football legends.
0: Yeah, Bruce Matthews is the answer. The other most valuable Oilers slash Titans using approximate value at Pro Football Reference, Mike Munchak, yeah. Warren Moon, Steve Warren. McNair, mm-hmm. and Ray Childress. You get bring uh, Earl Campbell back and have a
1: Thunder and Thunder backfield.
0: I was thinking about Earl Campbell. Another guy. Dude, imagine. Very
1: short career. Imagine – the fourth quarter having spent the first three quarters tackling a combination of derrick henry and earl campbell
0: earl campbell was 5 232 at a time when offensive linemen were probably 280 max and defensive linemen were 240 just think of it. Five
1: eleven two thirty two. 232 yeah this is like cam newton being a 260 pound earl campbell quarterback, had basically. like thigh like the quadzilla thing i mean that's earl campbell back in the day that dude that dude looked like a nightmare to try and tackle. Man, third year had 1,900 yards in 15 games. As a 25-year-old running back. How many times do you think, and let's assume you would survive each of these hits, but how many times do you think it would take you to tackle Earl Campbell one-on-one? How many times? Yeah, like if, he, if you just set up right in a channel and he got to run over you each time. How many time how many attempts assuming you were like back to 100% after each one? I would never tackle. Him. How many shots before you ever got him on the ground? That's like asking can my 7-year-old tackle me once.
0: If I choose to not be tackled by my 7-year-old, I will not can be you tackled. you
1: outweigh him by it doesn't matter. 50 got, pounds? No. I mean I did,
0: you know, we did play a tackle football game one time. Like
1: I think I'd eventually
0: get him. But I it might a take good, 100 shots at it. I'm a I'm going to say I'm a poor tackler. Yeah. I had a good tackle. <laughs> Against a D three fullback one time in right. a pickup tackle football. Game. That's what I'm saying. You're a you're a big fella. Division three fullback probably weighed about
1: two thirty. I mean, look for no, if if we're talking about Earl Campbell here, man. If nothing else, at some point he's going to trip over your prone corpse and you'll take him to the ground. That counts as a tackle, right? So you're going to get him eventually. Question is, how long would it take? I would never tackle Earl Campbell. Never. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, fine. That's my All right. That's my final
0: answer. All right, AFC North. Let's go uh, Baltimore Ravens. Okay.
1: Now... I did not give them former not, Baltimore Colts players. Or, no, they're in fact, not the former Colts. They're Cleveland, Cleveland Browns. Browns. franchise. My interest in the Baltimore Ravens started with the relocation and the the origin of the Baltimore Ravens.
0: So this Ravens. starts from... This is since 1996. Yes. Ravens Which, only. to be
1: fair, still gives them an absolute crap load of really good players that of they course. could use right now. So it's not like you need to dive back into the Browns or Colts days. Now, how does... Uh, pro football reference handle the Ravens?
0: Okay, yeah, they're they're only going with the Ravens since 06. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 96. 06? 96. Yeah.
1: So right. Ray Lewis.
0: Ray Lewis, huh? Is the obvious answer. You didn't go Ray Lewis? No. Ed Reed. Ed Reed is the didn't. obvious yeah, yeah, yeah. answer. You're a big Ed Reed guy.
1: Ed Reed. And I think I would be more interested in giving them Chris McAllister than Ray Lewis. Oh, uh, you're a positional value guy. I mean, not exclusively, but I think it when you pair positional value how good chris McAllister was how good he would be in today's nfl i, I think all that points you in that direction more than ray lewis interesting franchise i mean they uh no Jarrett johnson
0: on the list no, Jar- Jarrett, johnson. Jarrett johnson was one of those you know I, I don't even know what his sack totals were but one of those guys that early pff identified as like hey this guy's a little better than you think yeah against the
1: run Sets a, so uh, it's a, it's a hard edge you also get jonathan ogden i mean i i didn't put him there but
0: Jonathan well you already have Ronnie Stanley
1: sure on the current Ravens roster you do but there's there's a world where you're like I mean Jonathan Ogden's here like yeah but if you're trying to upgrade your service Ronnie but you know but Stanley's one of the best right now Ed
0: Reed immediately upgrades your free safety situation Ray Lewis gets to play next to Roquan Smith yeah right they just I mean I know they just drafted
1: uh trenton simpson
0: yeah you know to be the heir apparent eventually for patrick queen
1: in that world of you know this guy's not stopping you drafting a first round player trenton simpson's probably not stopping you drafting ray lewis plus ray lewis right finishes his career in 2012
0: and he's not even that good at that point he's barely playing and he's just like guys i'm retiring win a super bowl for me Mm. and he thought it was going to work He's yeah. a little self-centered. He, he does, he revolves a lot of his speeches around Ray Lewis. That's what Ray Lewis does. Yeah. You know, and, and that should never work. And then it worked. Yeah. Like he's, his speech willed Joe Flacco from almost getting benched <laughs> halfway through the season to going on one of the best Super Bowl runs of all time. I want Ray Lewis
1: on my team. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't argue with being a good uh, locker room presence. Yeah. Locker room guy. Plus you've got to get back in his good books, having you know made some vaguely disparaging remarks about him and <laughs> so, yeah. intros and things. So I'm absolutely going yeah. with with the Ray Lewis there. Gotcha. All right. Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this one was fascinating. You can go in a bunch of different directions with the Bengals. Um, I mean, Geno Atkins being put back on this team now would be pretty fascinating given how good he was in his prime. Willie Anderson solves your right tackle problem with arguably the greatest right tackle of all time. Ken Riley. As a cornerback option, Bobby Williams, one of the best guards during his time. I think you go to a lot of places with, uh, with Cincinnati. Obviously, by the way, we're assuming you would take Chris Collinsworth, but he's ineligible through being, you know, it's a conflict of interest. Yeah, Chris Collinsworth. Mm-hmm. I would definitely take Chris. Right. Chris, Elite,
0: deep threat, a wide receiver. When it, uh, career approximate value for the Bengals, number 21 is Carson Palmer. Number 22 is Chris Collinsworth. Career approximate value. Bengals history. Yeah, um, you didn't even mention the great Anthony Munoz. I didn't. I, I mean, I don't care. Just take Orlando Brown, flip him back to the right side.
1: He doesn't want to play right side. Don't care. He very doesn't want to play right side. He's very insistent about that. It's a very simple conversation.
0: I'm going to go to Orlando Brown, look him eye to eye, because I can do that. Yeah, it's true. You could. And tell him we're bringing Anthony Munoz back, but the why, 1985 version.
1: But why don't you avoid the headache and simply take Willie Anderson and let everybody stay where they're happy?
0: Look, I like Willie. You know, he was in studio yeah. during this offseason. He's, he's, he's another he's a big man. Yeah. Great guy. He's not Anthony Munoz. We know that. Do we? No, we don't.
1: What if he's right-sided Anthony Munoz? He might not be. I don't know. We don't have the grades. That's what I'm saying. We have a
0: couple grades of Willie Andrews, a couple years of grades. They were he very was great. Good. They were very good. So you could take – I mean, I saw Munoz getting whooped by Bruce Smith in some of those 88 games. All right. Games in 88. But Munoz has better reputation. You <laughs> cite his all pros. <laughs> cite the all pros. You've been doing that for everyone else.
1: Well, he gets screwed by all pros because the league didn't know what they were doing with right tackle, left tackle. I'm talking about Munoz. One,
0: two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten all pros.
1: But Willie Anderson gets hosed when you just look at all pros because the league just gave him all the left tackles.
0: Munoz has seven catches in his career, four touchdowns. Right. So, red zone weapon for Joe Burrow. Uh huh. Going Anthony Munoz.
1: Willie, despite playing right tackle, has four first or second team all pros. Oh yeah he got screwed that's they, ridiculous,
0: uh, our founder Neil um, so we were we were helping Willie Anderson with this Hall of Fame case, just putting some some data together for him and Neil's research came up that when he looked at right tackle all pros, it was all based off a record, yeah uh, who was the guy for the bear the oh one the bears go twelve and four, and whoever their right tackle was got all pro for like the only time in his career. I forget who it was so yeah uh Willie Anderson did probably get screwed. Uh-huh. I'm still going Munoz. Kicking
1: kicking Orlando Brown over to the right side. I mean, that's just that's just asking. Geno Atkins is interesting, though. That's just asking for an for unhappy team. locker room. I'm not doing that.
0: Munoz over Whitworth, though, right? Or are you like, don't well, well, who knows?
1: I mean, I don't know. But Maybe I Whitworth. Probably would. would default to Munoz over Whitworth.
0: The league's not that dumb. All right, also, Cle- by the way. Cleveland
1: Browns in their entire history. Like, imagine a world where Whitworth plays guard like he was supposed to. Good point. Then you can Where are we up going, that sorry? offensive line. Cleveland, Cleveland Browns. I added Joe Thomas back to this roster. It's the weakest spot on that offensive line. You add maybe the best left tackle of all time to that. That's, that's a pretty good upgrade. Uh, I think you can make a case for Paul, Wolf, Paul Warfield, the wide receiver, or Clay Matthews Jr. Clay Matthews Jr. By approximate value, is the most valuable Brown of all time.
0: Sack Artist. Would you go... Jim Brown? No. You already have Nick Chubb? Correct. I mean, Jim Brown could be that much better than Nick Chubb, just like you said Jonathan Ogden versus Ronnie Stanley. Same I argument. can
1: imagine a world where Jim Brown is not any better than Nick Chubb. He was just playing in a day where offensive linemen weigh 230 pounds. You started this whole— Right, but, you, but he already weighed like 230. You can't like scale him up. What is he now, 275? Like, that doesn't... He was already a super freak just back in the 1960s. Christian Acolier size. Yeah, so I don't think that works. I don't think you can say, all right, with the benefit of modern sports nutrition and, med- and medicine and all those things, Jim Brown is now a 275-pound dude that runs a 4 and is therefore unstoppable. Yet, I mean, there's got to be a limit to it, right? I don't know, man. Or, like, because if that's our argument that scaled up proportional to everybody else he's now like he's now a, a, like an unstoppable superhuman then okay i'm just posing the question jim brown
0: like, you want to adjust don hudson for for uh, era i mean jim brown was faster than everybody too right and and bigger and stronger than everybody. Yeah, but... So the he, speed would translate. I mean, he was Bo Jackson. You were making this Bo Jackson call. I don't think he's, he was Bo,
1: Bo Jackson. I don't think he was Bo Jackson from an, like, from an athleticism standpoint. I think he was Bo Jackson from a size standpoint, and that was a bigger deal back when he played. Got to apologize. I'm not completely familiar with this game, <laughs> other than some highlights. <laughs> Got to I don't see. know. I, Joe I, Thomas is fair, though. To me, I just Replace don't... Replace
0: Jedrick Wills with Joe Thomas right now?
1: Like, I think Jim Brown was a great running back, but I think a lot of what he did was built off simply being way bigger than a lot of people trying to stop him and i don't know that you can translate that plus as i say we already have nick chubb whereas our left tackle is jedrick wills and i can upgrade him with joe thomas sold
0: all right the rich history of the pittsburgh steelers who are you pulling from the steelers
1: this is why you got to go back further than the 1980s because you want mean joe green
0: mean joe green huh
1: yeah the fourth most valuable stealer of all time, an absolute one-man wrecking crew on the inside, albeit on a, an amazing steel curtain defensive line. So I was th- so that's great. Um, the most valuable stealers of all time. Also, ben. by the way, phenomenal nickname. Um, um, nicknames are going to be big. Mean, what? Well, yeah, mean. mean. All together, Mean Joe. You got to like Mean Joe Green. Just rolls off the tongue. You got to add a Mean Joe Green to your roster whenever you got the opportunity to see the best player on the steel curtain. Yes. Ben
0: Roethlisberger, Mike Webster, the center, yeah. Jack Ham, Mean Joe Green, Jack Terry Hamm. Bradshaw. They've got a
1: lot of, like, a lot of defensive players would be interesting. Jack Ham would Jack be Hamm, fascinating. Jack Ham, Jack Lambert. Right. Either of those guys would be pretty intriguing. Troy Polamalu. Troy Polamalu. Next to Minka.
0: So I was going to suggest the two centers, right? They, they had this run of Mike Webster and yep. rolled right into Dermani Dawson. Uh-huh and we don't have grades on either of them. But right. by all accounts, Mike Webster was like the dude at center in the 70s and 80s. Uh, he retires in 1988. Dermoni Dawson takes over in 88. He goes till 2000. I think they are the reason why everybody thought Marquise Pouncey was a yeah. you know, future Hall of Famer for the Steelers because that's just what the Steelers do at center. So I was going to say plug one of those guys into the Steelers offensive line today.
1: The other argument I think that would have a really good one is Mel Blount at cornerback. Oh, that be great. Mel Blunt was so dominated they literally changed the game because he was just bullying receivers. Like they they created this rule, 11
0: interceptions in 1975.
1: Right. The Mel Blunt rule. Yeah. Was effectively what he created. Like he was so dominant physically that they had to scale back the level of contact the DBs were allowed to have on receivers. He was a defensive player of the year in 1975. Led the NFL that year. That was the interceptions year. Uh, member of the All Decade Team, the seventy-fifth and the hundredth anniversary team, and a whole bunch of other crap. Like arguably the greatest corner ever. Um. I'm good with I'm good with uh, Mean Joe Green as the option here. Okay, but I was considering the centers. Mel Blount would be. I don't fun. think I would add a center. I would be Mean Joe Green. I would think a lot about Mel Blunt and then one of those freaky defensive players, whether it's Paul Amalu or one of the linebackers, Lambert or Ham. All right, let's go to the Buffalo Bills. Going through the AFC East now. Yeah. So this one I thought was tough enough. You go a bunch of different directions. It's got to be Bruce Smith. Yeah. Bruce Smith was where I settled on. What does he play in today's – so today's NFL and that defense specifically, what is his alignment and how do you deploy him? I think he's what Aaron Donald is doing.
0: Really? I think he's a three – that lines up as a five and an edge when you want him to? Or is he just Cameron Jordan, which yeah. is, a pure, what is a 280 pound edge? Because we Cause have that's a what,
1: very different body type than Aaron
0: Donald. We were, that's what Bruce, Bruce Smith was really an edge defender. Yes. Who I think was forced into five technique toward the end of his career. Yeah. Like he was with Wade Phillips
1: in their old school three, four in 1996. And when it's important that we remember, like, his, he was another, like, Bruce Matthews. He was the first overall pick of the 1985 draft, but was still kicking around playing for the first few years of the 2000s. It's
0: amazing. He was, he was 40 years old on Washington. When I was watching one of those old drafts, there was a point, I don't think they, I don't even know if they ever saw the field together, but there was a point where Bruce Smith, Daryl Green, another legend, yeah. and Dion Sanders yeah. were all on the same, they were all rostered together. In Washington, like three first ballot Hall of Famers, some of the best players of all time at their respective positions. Now, they were all in their late 30s or whatever. I mean, Dion, whatever, he's in his 30s. They're all at the end of their careers, but
1: crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Bruce Smith, very durable. Listed at 64, 262. Now, he definitely got heavier than that towards the end. Yeah, I think so. But, but I think he's, he's probably a pure edge that you could kick inside.
0: So I'd, 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 I'd say that. So he, cause he Him was, even Von Miller, though, Russian officer. Yeah, the he was
1: kind bills. of like this prototypical, like, 3 4 end at, for various stages of his career. But in this world of, like, adjusted for inflation, you know, transported into the modern day, I wonder if you just say, like, just maximize your body type for 4 3 edge rusher, like pure edge rush. Yeah. Use, take advantage of that. We're talking about the all time sack leader in NFL history. The only guy, the only guy, right? Over 200. Um, exactly, 200 career sacks. Yeah. And, okay, he hung around a long time to get there, but we're talking about one of the best pass rushers in NFL history. Came out of Virginia Tech before they
0: were any good, really. Um, I told you, I was kind of watching this 1988 Bills-Bengals game, just kind of glancing at it. He had some reps against Anthony Munoz where he just completely yeah. wrecked him. They, I don't even know if they ended up as sacks. Maybe one of them did. But um, Bruce Smith... And Reggie White, I believe, from what I've seen, look like the guys who would grade at Aaron Donald type of level. I feel like Reggie J.J. White Watt type would. of level. I think Bruce Smith definitely
1: would, from what I've seen with Bruce Smith. But um, Tony Baselli though, shut him down in that game in 96. A couple of uh, offensive line options for Buffalo you could have. Reuben Brown, guard, Joe Delamere. I think that's how that's said. Guard, uh, a couple of interior linemen to help really upgrade that group. But you could go with um, – uh the uh, jim kelly's favorite receiver whose name is just falling out of my head andre reed yeah yeah, yeah. andre yeah. reed to come in and find andre do reed that and stefan
0: diggs would be good right what about oj simpson in the backfield with josh allen
1: look at you why why are you bringing running backs to every team because running backs were fun back then
0: and but they, it's 2023 i don't know they just they feel like they'd be better because they were good back then i see okay uh fred Smurless is a new England legend he would do yeah that's the first one I I don't know who that is Fred Smurless was a nose tackle for the Bills and then the Patriots okay and he was a radio legend him and so Zach Diossi you know my my buddy Zach uh-huh. Giants long snapper his dad Steve was long snapper slash linebacker for new England mm-hmm. and Diossi and Smurless did new England radio together and then opened a steakhouse together they were like best buds of course um, but Smurless was like, when he was on the radio, all he talked about was two gapping. He'd be like, "Oh, Belichick loves two gap. You know, he just he just loved talking ball." But he was like, he was a nose tackle in the '80s, and uh, the Bills need a run stopper. They do, right? So that could be a good fit there as well. Okay, but I'm not taking him over Bruce Smith.
1: No. All
0: right, uh, Dolphins are up next.
1: Oh, this one's obvious. I think it's Marino. Well, yeah yeah dan marino i want a, a lot like elway Tua anon might be after you here i want dan marino in the modern nfl i just want that data point i want to see how that works wait 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 i'm gonna do oh you know i was
0: gonna do some like here's dan marino's stats through three seasons compared to Tua's. dan marino is the Those, guy that actually won't work it usually works like across eras where the the legend looks bad no he'll look great but marino He's, will look great year two was 84
1: <laughs> yeah um, he had more touchdowns in 84 than Tua had in his first three seasons. Right. The, Dan Marino, to me, is the poster child for the guy that would not necessarily— I, I have no idea what his scores are in either of these two things, but I suspect Dan Marino would have a low Wonderlick score and a high S2 cognition score. I feel like that guy just understood how the game worked from an intuitive level. His brain just worked on the football field. To the exclusion of everything else. Like, all of his run time was dedicated to just finding an open dude and firing a ball right at his face. And everything else throughout like was out the window. Whereas you, like, 80% of your brain is dedicated to 1980s wrestling and baseball stats. Mm-hmm. With Dan, almost all of it. Like, 100% is just laser-focused on finding Mark Clayton and hitting him with the ball. Yeah. yeah, I, I could buy that. Yeah. Marino's stats are silly. Some They're ridiculous. Them, right?
0: Like, so... A lot of people focus on the touchdowns and all that stuff. So he rolls into the league in 83. It's pretty good as a rookie. Very good. I mean, he's very good as a rookie. But his second year still might be the best quarterback season of all time. Over 5,000 yards in a completely different era. 48 touchdowns. Completely different era. I mean, that thing yeah, stood for a while. Just,
1: just taking that those two beats there, right? Yeah. 5,000 yards and 48 touchdowns. Those are crazy numbers now. To do that in 1984 when – the I mean – it's a different game going back to two thousand and seven. Nineteen eighty four is a whole other world, and he's carving teams up for almost for, for five thousand yards and almost fifty touchdowns.
0: Yeah, his and, and he averaged nine yards per attempt that year. Yeah, nine. And he played every game. Miami goes fourteen and two. They lose in the Super Bowl to San Francisco. That's the biggest, the two greatest challenge outliers. there is. Marino getting over that hump. The two the greatest
1: outlier seasons of all time are that year and the year Joe Namath went over 4,000 yards, which is still the only time a New York Jets quarterback has done that. That is actually In crazy. the 60s. The other thing I wanted to highlight about Marino, though, the more, again, the more we we kind of knew this
0: intuitively, but we studied it more, and it's like, man, the quarterback, like, it's not about the offensive line when it comes to sack rate and all that right. stuff. Marino led the league in sack rate his first seven years in the league. As in the lowest. The lowest, yes, the lowest sack rate. The craziest number, he had how many games? It was like 19 games or something where he didn't get sacked in a row. He was sacked only six times in 1988. Yeah. In a world where there are seven step drops all the time. Six times and he played all 16 games. Now they went six and 10 or whatever, but he threw for over 4,000 yards and lost only 31 yards
1: on six sacks that particular season. That is nuts. The only interesting, or the only thing that would give me pause for concern and it's still like you'd have to take this risk is Dan Marino played effectively before the era of disguise coverages and deliberate bait and switch moves by a defense. Like, he got out of the league right as Dick LeBeau's Blitzberg type of defense was coming around to being a big thing. And I read a very compelling argument at one stage that I think there was a brief crossover and he played them a couple of times maybe. You know the way Russell Wilson played that Brandon Staley defense and... Just kept pitching the ball to DBs. He couldn't handle the idea that they were taking away the but, one thing he wanted to do. But you just said he was Mr. S two cognition. No, I know. But that was. But in a world where everybody like you see thing, it stays the same. You know, you see the thing, it stays the same. You just find the open guy, you hit him. Um, I read a very compelling argument or article at one point that was basically arguing that Dan Marino, in a world of zone blitzes and disguise coverages, and Showing you one thing pre-snap and another thing post-snap might have struggled quite a bit. And we never got to see that because he basically bounced from the league right, right about the time that was becoming a thing. So there's definitely a possibility that in today's NFL, as much as everyone's like, oh, Dan Marino would throw 7,000 yards and 50, you know, a million touchdowns, might not have happened because maybe he actually looks at disguise coverages and just starts throwing the ball to <laughs> linebackers all the time. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying it, it's possible.
0: Marino was pretty special. Yes. Overall. Release and right. arm talent and sack avoidance and all that fun stuff. Maybe he would avoid sacks. Or he wouldn't avoid sacks as well. His sack rates did go way up as he got older. Right. Durability was hurt. Movement skills weren't as good. And maybe, you know, zone
1: blitz. Got to mention Dwight Stevenson named the, the uh, award. The, yeah, the guy the name the award is named after him. Bring him in
0: at center. Uh-huh. Connor Williams moves to left guard. We're solving some problems there for Tua. That's what I'm saying. A better problem to solve, though, is Dan Marino.
1: Yes. Even with two. the potential yeah. risk that he can't handle zone blitz. Fire zone. Damn just uh. I don't know. <laughs> who, who knows? Two more teams.
0: <laughs> New England Patriots. New England Patriots. Who are you bringing in? So I'm looking at the most valuable Patriots of all time. I'm surprised, like, the, the Peyton era Colts. Uh, the Colts, it's all Peyton and his friends. Yeah. The most valuable Patriots of all time only include, of course, Brady, but Logan Mankins, Matt Light, and Vince Wilfork are the only really? Brady-era Patriots in this, just using AV, yeah. most valuable. Matt and, Light. Yeah. I mean, the way AV works is a little silly because it's, it's basically like, Great did you play tackle it. on a team that was good? And so Tom Brady's the biggest driver for the Patriots being good on offense. So the fact that Matt Light was his left tackle, he gets like a ton of credit for that. That's just <laughs> how it goes. They're not like grading these players or anything. It's just were you on the field when teams were good? So that's why Matt Light, because he played ten years at tackle. Okay, but um, where would you go here?
1: Uh, so I didn't want to give them Brady. I yeah, felt you can't like... play. You can't do Brady. That's not in the yeah. rules. I felt like that was against the rules, or at least close enough to it that I I didn't want to do that. Um, I thought Gronk might be eligible, just because he's you know, he's a little closer. Now let's have more fun. Okay, um, John Hanna, I think you could bring to the table. Yep. Former guard uh offensive legend you ever see pictures of John Hanna that guy was jacked back in the day I don't know what the uh the testing rules were like in terms of you know hey pee in a (laughs) cup random test in the 70s and 80s right I don't know how good they were back then um I would I'd be vaguely surprised if if John Hanna was regularly passing some advanced medical screening but who knows um all I'm saying is the dude was jacked out of his mind and I think would still absolutely crush NFL defensive linemen. I think Randy Moss is eligible. Didn't Wasn't there that long, but, it's only dude, the years, years he had. years, basically. Right, but one of them included a 23-touchdown season. Yeah, and, true. Yeah, so I felt like Moss was at least eligible uh, and worth discussing, but I ended up settling on John Hanna. I was going to suggest Andre Tippett. Oh,
0: good. Now, not necessarily because the Patriots need pass rushes or anything, but, you know, Tippett was like your old-school 3-4 rush backer, had 18-and-a-half sacks one year, 16-and-a-half sacks a different year. Yep. Sacks are overrated, but they could tell the story if we don't have PFF data. Um, So, yeah, (laughs) Tippett, pretty solid tenure. Like, when I was growing up, he was the dude in New England Mm -hmm. during a lot of their bad years as well. Um, Stanley Morgan was a really good receiver for a while. He's no Randy Moss, but – it is interesting. like Guys like Teddy Bruschi and Willie McGinnis and Richard Seymour, they're all top 20, most Seymour. viable. Seymour is a good name. Patriots, I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't considered him. Seymour is a good call. But, uh, yeah, Hannah at guard might take Cole Strange's spot, though. Yes, I would think so. All right, New York Jets. Where are you going? New York Jets. Can't take Namath over uh, Aaron
1: Rodgers now. No. No, wouldn't, wouldn't do it. Though I do think that him throwing for 4,000 yards in whatever it was the early 60s is nuts. Um, the most valuable Jets of all time. Don Maynard. Yeah. Larry Grantham. Maynard's an option. Mo Lewis. What? He's also the most valuable Patriot of all time. Huh. He injured Drew Bledsoe. He did. To is open that why the door for Tom Brady? Is that why, like, they're giving him credit for that? He gets 10 years worth of AV. Yeah, for... he
0: should get all, all of his AV goes to, all Brady's 282 <laughs> right. AV go to. Counts uh, to Mo
1: Lewis for starting Lewis. that. Um, Joe Namath and then Winston Hill. Okay, so the two names I had that are not... you didn't look at either of them, I don't think. Mark Gastineau on the defensive line. Just load up. Let's keep going. Let's see how many freak shows we can get on that defensive line for the Jets. And then Darrell Rivas. I mean, dude, Rivas and Sauce. I mean, <sighs> sorry. Is the answer. Yeah, sorry, Rivas DJ. Answer. You're a good player in your own right, but Darrell Rivas just became available. We're, we're forming the greatest cornerback tandem of all time over I, here. I have to say the... That- I forget when our friend Mike Mike Tannenbaum got there.
0: There was a lot of there was a lot of team building things that the Jets did. I thought that were good when they were trying to they went to the back-to-back AFC championships and yeah. they were trying to challenge the Patriots. But they were for a Rex Ryan defense that relied on corners. They had Darrell Revis and Antonio Cromartie at yeah. one point, right? When you talk like Cromartie, like Sauce Gardner probably ends up being better than Cromartie, but Cromartie is a great ball hawk type of corner to play opposite Revis who you'd like to avoid. And then they loaded up at receiver with Braylon Edwards and Santonio Holmes. They did some really good things. They just had Mark Sanchez at quarterback. But the Jets kind of built the team the way we would, I think, on the perimeter, being really, really strong. And uh, yeah, Revis is the answer here. Yes. Out of his mind. Good.
1: I mean that again, just that two thousand and nine season from Darrell Revis, ironically, didn't win defensive player of the year that year. That's the greatest coverage season we've seen from any player. Anywhere, ever. All right. I think once a year we need to read what, those, what that year was. He gave up a pass rating in the 30s. He gave up a completion rate, I think, in the 30s, and he did it shutting down like a list of really good wide receivers week after week. Darrell Rivas, 2009. It was 09, right? Yeah.
0: Where am I here? Give me the 09 season. Yes. Not every team. We have to remind people. Not every team actually plays matchups. Rivas did. And in that year, he was like Randy Moss, Steve Smith, Andre Johnson. And tracked them. Tracked them everywhere. Including into the slot. And he was playing man coverage. Yep. And when you play man coverage, you usually can get pass breakups. You usually can't get interceptions. Mm -hmm. And so he had two interceptions in the playoffs as well. So he finished with eight. But his entire season, passer rating including the playoffs, was (laughs) 29.1 when it was man coverage against the very best receivers in the NFL. He gave up just 38% of the passes into his coverage to be completed, mm-hmm. 38%. And this wasn't – remember, it's, again, at the same time, mm-hmm. Namdi Asimwa was in the league playing just right corner and being avoided. He would get targeted once or twice a game. Mm-hmm. Rivas got targeted 127 times that year. That's crazy. So it wasn't like, hey, he's just shutting them down. They're not challenging him. It was like, no, I need you know Andre Johnson in my offense. I need Steve Smith. In my offense, I need all these guys, so I'm going to target them. And it didn't matter. He faced Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, he faced all those guys and shut them all down. And it was, it's one of the best seasons of all time because we actually have data on it. Mm-hmm. So it targeted 127 times, still only gave up 500 yards into coverage, 24 pass breakups, eight interceptions. Rebus's 09 was out of this world, and Charles Woodson won defensive player of the year yeah. he had, because he had better. He had those stats. So it's like a bunch of sacks and a bunch of tackles and a bunch of forced fumbles. And Woodson was unbelievable that year, actually. Great year, just not In, a, different,
1: in a completely different role. Yeah. Is that it for the AFC? Uh, yeah, is that it? that all. see. Everyone on my list is, is an NFC team now. Did we remember the Titans? Uh, we did. Great. We gave them Bruce Matthews good five times.
0: Us. Fun exercise. Let us know in the comments. Who would you add for your respective teams? I'm sure you've already started
1: typing. So. And then the, uh, the NFC tomorrow. NFC is
0: so, coming back tomorrow.
1: NFL uh, podcast at PFF.com for any comments and or suggestions for this or for anything else we're doing, uh, various shows, ideas, all those kinds of things, fire us uh, an email. We like reading them all. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again
0: tomorrow as we uh, fix every NFC team with some more legends.